Hi, and welcome to Conscious Sexuality, the podcast. My name is Jasmine, and I am passionate about empowering women to awaken and reclaim their feminine through various ways and practices. For years, women have been shamed for their sexuality, and I want to share how you can find freedom. I believe a new opportunity awaits those who seek the depths, and as we bring that which hasn't been conscious into the light, freedom is found. This podcast is not just about sexuality, it is an all-encompassing podcast to shine the light into the shadows and explore whatever your heart desires. We will discuss ideas and concepts that will help you find freedom and step into being your most authentic self. The conversation might refer to male or female terms, but it's important for me to let you know that this podcast is affirming of everyone and however they identify. You have a space here. It is also really important to me that I acknowledge the traditional owners of the country, the Pambalong clan of the Awabakal people, and recognize their continuing connection to the land, waters, and culture. We pay our respects to their elders past, present, and emerging. Enjoy listening. Hi, and welcome to another episode on Conscious Sexuality, the podcast. Today's podcast is with Conrad. Uh, He is from Ideas Digest. It's his own podcast that he runs. And I actually had the privilege of being on his show last year, chatting about my journey with vaginismus and also with exploring self-pleasure, also known as masturbation. So today's episode, chatting with Conrad, we hear a little bit more around his podcast, why he does it, why he takes the approach that he does with his podcast. Um, Also, if any guest that he has had on his show has impacted him in any particular way, which has perhaps changed his beliefs and the way that he thinks. And also we just hear about his framework on how he analyzes new ideas and concepts and chooses if he's going to apply them to his life or not. So Conrad's podcast is all about hearing two different sides of uh, opinions and hearing just hearing what someone else has to say and hearing why they came to that point of why they believe that. So super interesting to chat further with Conrad around those thoughts and really enjoyed his intellectual thoughts around it. So I hope you enjoyed it because I certainly did. And if you do enjoy this type of podcasting, then I encourage you to go and listen to Conrad's podcast over at Ideas Digest. The information on how to contact him will be at the end of the show. So I hope you enjoy it. And if you do, please let me know by writing a review because it really helps my podcast and enjoy. Conrad, Welcome to the show, and can you, you start off by introducing yourself? All right. Uh, my name's Conrad. I grew up in Newcastle, Australia, moved to Melbourne, didn't enjoy it. Um, grew up, like, we go in religious, career. I'm currently, like, yeah. a business economics teacher, uh, pseudo-podcaster, you know, hobby, hobbyist podcaster, and uh, even less hobbyist making, like, YouTube videos and, and things like that. Uh, so... You know, the, the job that pays me money is teaching and the job that I probably wish I could do more of would be like just talking to people. Uh, what other kind of background information is there that give a summary of who I am? I don't, I don't know. Like, <laughs> You have a beautiful wife. 
I do. I do. A very creative, um, intelligent, beautiful wife. Yes. yes. Named Brooke. Yes. Brooke Art Studio of the same name. Yes. We love Brooke. <laughs> Has she been on? No, but I plan to get her on. Okay. Yes. I feed her in. She's my <laughs> wife. <laughs> I'm not her husband. Oh, well, that's true as well. uh, okay. So Conrad, you've got your own podcast, Ideas Digest. I do. And tell us a little bit more about that podcast. Ideas Digest, at least the aspiration, goals and aims of it is what, what I witnessed growing up in a religious setting, Adventism to be specific, is a very tribalism around ideas and, and beliefs. So if you believe something, you split off into another denomination. And within these little tribes, I quickly learned like, don't say this, do say this. They'll think this if you say these key words, like don't say the word meditation, they'll associate that with this. And there's all this tribalism around ideas and I, I never quite understood it. So, the, so, and then I guess looking at the greater political realm as I woke up politically, I'm like the same religious mentality, if we want to call it a religious mentality, it could be the inverse coming from the secular world political realm as well. The same tribalism around ideas exists. If you're, if you're on the political left, these are your key words, your fundamental beliefs, the, the structures in which you operate. If you're on the right, there's the same thing. And, and what I witnessed was there was no true conversation between the two sides of whether religious divides, political divides. And what I found was like a mischaracterization of, of the other person's argument almost every single time. So someone on the left would be like, you know, like re- quite reductionistic, like Trump is simply a racist. That's all he cares about. He's just X, Y, and Z. And then on the, on the Trump side, they go, they're just Marxists and communists. And I'm like, oh, geez, like neither of you really seem to understand exactly what each other's saying. You're like, you still don't have to agree. Uh, but no one seemed to understand. So I just thought, I'm very curious as to what it would be to just have open, honest conversations, but come with the premise that no, I don't really believe anyone's truly evil. That was, I guess, the premise of it to go, all right, if there's a racist monstrosity who's a pro-Trumper, I, I would go, no, I think there's reasons behind that. I think there's factors that lead to them thinking this way. And mm. how do these ideas that they hold serve them and if we could just put aside the agree and disagree just for long enough to go ah you grew up in this environment your factors and education led you here your political belonging is over here so of course you would think and be and exist in the world in this way and so i guess to be really short ideas digest explores the ideas that divide us to hopefully find the humanity of somebody else. So as you're listening, you go, I completely disagree, but I at least understand a, your argument and how you got there. That's the idea is to try and excavate behind the division to find our commonalities and where we diverge differently. Like, Oh, I accept this premise and, and you accept this one. And that's why we diverge. It's just, I guess a more, trying to just understand people and I find it fascinating. So that's what I just try and do on, on the show each episode. <laughs> yeah. And why, like, cause before I met you, I guess, um, I'd never really had conversations where I was able to have that differing of opinion with somebody and just talk about a topic and not for a debate sake, but just to explore someone else's thought processes and ideas. And so it really, helped me to 
open up my thinking more and be open to hear why other people think the way they do. Why is this something that's really important for people to understand how to do? Yeah, you're right to bring up that it seems as if debate is the only form of, of the collision of different ideas. And, it, and it's quite a violent one. And, and I'm not saying that that's not necessary. I love listening to, you know, different podcasts like Intelligence Squared debates where you actually hit ideas against each other and see which one comes out the victor. And I think that's, that's really cool. But I don't think that there's, we've been modeled any other form of engaging with ideas. And like, why do I think it's important? I think, I think there has to be another way. I'm not even saying that the way I'm doing it is a good alternative but i i think i'm saying it is an alternative because looking at like i was just looking at just down the youtube rabbit hole as i'm in lockdown just following <laughs> me and i was i was i was i was watching the horrific horrific footage of that that 17 year old shooting and killing mm. just like and i was watching the whole thing and then i was like i need and i was like going for breakdowns like who's describing what's happening what happened before and i went left of the political divide and right of the political divide and i was just like neither are describing what I'm seeing right now, mm. but both are pulling into their stories and narratives, their political narratives, that event to, to bolster their own kinds of views. So it's like, I just don't think there are any other ways that are modeled to us to show what it looks like to disagree mm. and then still exist together, converse together. And I guess most importantly, compromise because in a in a political society which every society must be by necessity to go we've got different people with different needs how do we now live together there has to be a way of somehow taking differences and working through them and at least taking making some progress uh so i don't know like i guess why like why i'm doing it is like is there another way? I think there is. And I think it, mm. I think the important part of it is integrating the human that developed the ideas. Cause I think this debate style idea separates the idea from the human and then yeah. wars the ideas in quite a violent way. And that's okay. But they always operate within both a political and a personal realm. And, and I don't, I think it's a useful experiment to pull them away from the person. But if we don't detach them back into the context of the person, I, I just don't think we're getting anywhere, at least mm. watching America right now, watching the political debate, like hurling, like you're a racist, you're a Marxist. Like, <laughs> I feel like you're not saying anything except I'm going for this team and you're, and you're an idiot and I'm going for that team and, and I'm the best. Like, I, I don't know. It's like, it's not helping anybody. Way. It's not helping anyone just making statements like that. You know, no one really is understanding why the person has decided that that's the comment that they want to throw at that person. And there's no breakdown of what's actually occurring. It's just broad statements, which I think if you think about what the media portray to us, it's just all often quite very broad statements about what the media sees. And then they just put it in front of our faces mm. and we determine what we think from that. And then we potentially form an opinion, but it's again, possibly a very watered down opinion again, because we're getting like third hand information maybe. Mm, yeah, that's right. Like 
we, we operate on like these levels of stories. We have like the event and then we have an analysis of the event presented by, you know, a certain media organization that has certain incentives. Like I don't, I definitely don't go down personally, the rabbit hole of like, there's this one dude at the top and he's <laughs> controlling everybody and all that kind of stuff. But I do believe in incentive structures. And I think incentive structures of like what you're talking about, the, the news media, I think it, that it's incentivized for tribalism and division. It's incentivized to present us with who's the enemy and who's the good guy. And I'm always the good guy. So they're always the enemy. And, mm-hmm. and it's incentivized just through profit structures, the way in which like to have a, like for us to get information about the world, AKA called the news and their profit structure and incentive structure is designed. It needs more clicks to get more money. Yeah. Well, it knows how to ha- hack us and yeah. we will always click on the most outrageous thing. Cause that's what we're programmed to do. Yeah. So it's like the incentive structures just push division. They push the divide. They push all these things um, that I think ultimately just isn't helpful. It doesn't move anyone forward and it just creates enemies and it creates us. It reduces our ability to understand people. And in the end, I just don't think it's helpful. Yeah, I think you're right. It's not helpful because, I mean, me also being brought up in a Christian environment, it was uh, like my religion is right and yours is wrong and mine is right because this is what is it says in the Bible and whatever your book says is just wrong. And that was like it. <laughs> there was no like, well, let's just examine it a little bit more and let's be open to hearing someone else's opinion. It's just like black. It was essentially saying that there's a black and a white. Because I don't, I don't think that's true. I think there's a grey. Mm, that's like the simple world, right? Like, and and that's that. I think there is that's to quote like Richard Raw when he talks about mm. going from like order to disorder to reorder, and he's got this order box. And I grew up like I probably you in this order box. Everything belongs. Everything yeah. is safe. There's no unknowns. We have all the answers. And he, so to say, at its best, the order box is really helpful for growing people up. And I, I think I'm a beneficiary of that. I was in a safe universe with a Jesus that was protecting me, Conrad, with having all the answers. There were no unknowns to the universe. The earth's 6,000 years old and it's just, it's all in the book. Read the book and you're good. Yeah. And, I, and I think at its best, it's like, it's a safe place. And, and at its best, as a safe place, it's somewhere to stand on and go from. But I think at its worst, it's that you can't have the safe space without exclusion. You can't have the safe space. And I think ultimately that's what I've seen during the podcast and talking to people of our generation or leaving the church. Mm. Because I think we, we, we learnt what it had to teach us. We are all valuable and equal. The environment is something to, uh, to look after and protect. Like people are inherently valuable and we should all like, like love your enemy essentially. And then I think we got to the point where we went like, I'm taking these seriously, but I can see exclusion happening at the cost of keeping our tribe safe. And the exclusion is LGBT. It's, it's the immigrant. It's the outsider. It's anyone who's different to us. It's the political, whatever your church or tribe is in. It's, it's whoever's different. And so that cost, I think, like it, it's too high the, mm. the in order to remain safe i think it causes too much damage to the outside as it fights like literally fights now you look at the australian christian lobby and the yeah. the political christian movement it's literally fighting to maintain its safety and the harm it's causing you know like the gay marriage plebiscite and all yeah. these things it's kind of oblivious to it can't confront that that damage that it's mm. that it's causing 
but I understand the motive, which is we need our answers. We need to be safe and you're threatening my certainty and my safety. So it's like a, they're honestly, from that perspective, they're fighting for the survival of their worldview. And that's why I guess it's such a violent, I guess, violent in the sense of like forceful pushing of ideas in that very forceful way. Mm. Yeah. That's interesting perspective on why I think people in not just religious circles, but any sort of circle, why they do think the way they do, because it's, that's their safe box. Um, But I think you're right in what you're saying. A lot of us have decided that the safety of that box, like the, the worth of these other people now, like um, LGBT um, people also, um, yeah, like you were saying, refugees and a lot of other causes that are important for us to care about. Um, we've decided that that original box that we were in, like that these other people are more important than that original box now. And it's time yeah. to risk stepping out of that box to care about the people, which if, if you are a Bible reader and you do believe what the Bible says, well, Jesus does ask us to care for everybody. So how are we doing that if we're excluding people out of the box that we're in, we've got to get out of it, which is why I also have, I don't, not really a fan of church environments because it is literally a box (laughs) that people walk into. Um, And I just think it's too limiting Mm -hmm. to people that want to find somewhere to belong. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. So is this, like is this thought process something that you've gone on personally in your own life and you know like as you use this way of thinking for your podcast is this a way of thinking that you've adapted to for your own personal journey yeah i think i think because i'm a highly like cerebral analytical like like i process everything in my mind and i and i map things and i always go and as i was going through my like religious safe box and then going, Oh, well we can't, how can we be a remnant? Like this was like 15 years old. Like how can we be the only ones? Right. I just knew that was a statistical improbability. I just thought, man, there's so many Christian denominations out there. How can we be the right ones? And then, you know, growing up, I went to Nepal and was driving along in a bus and I looked out the window. I'm like, Oh crap. If I was born in Nepal, I would be Nepalese. And if I was Nepalese, then I would be probably Hindu yeah. or uh, depending on, you know, where, you, where you grow up and I go, Oh, that means I wouldn't be a Christian. Oh, so does that mean I wouldn't be saved? And instantly right. that, that box started to like break down a little bit in these little ways, but because I, because I grew up in a more liberal Adventist home, my mum and I would always have these conversations when mum's like, yeah, I, I maybe don't think we are like exclusively understanding something. Maybe we've got something and maybe other people have it too. So I noticed that box beginning to like shift and expand. And then growing up, looking at my life, like trying to, trying to take these things I'm being taught, like Jesus loved everybody and he loved his enemy. And how can we be like Jesus? It's like, Oh, I get that. We need to be more like Jesus for sure. But then I look at myself and go, geez, I have zero empathy for that homeless guy I just walked past. Because I'd just go, ah, oh, bro, kind of your fault. Like, you got to work harder. There's Centrelink. There's nothing I can do. I don't want to make it worse. Yeah, I'm like, oh, I care. But I noticed, I was like, well, why aren't I helping people? 
Mm. Why aren't I? And it can, it can, this Christian mindset that I noticed I had, it could like quickly spiral me into not being a good enough Christian. Maybe I'm not a good enough Christian. Maybe I'm not good enough. I need to be more like this. And, and I could have, I looked at it there and I could have forced myself and maybe once or twice I did, like I've got to go do some service things and I'd force myself into that but I didn't enjoy it. It didn't flow from me. It didn't come naturally. It was difficult. I always didn't want to do it. And so I just kind of thought something isn't working about the box I have. It, it isn't leading me. Like you're reading the Bible and you're going, well, it's, it's meant to be like love flows and overflowing. And like, you're supposed to be drawn to all these things. Like what, I mean, what leads people to die for their faith, so to speak? Mm, yeah. What like, Cause I bloody wouldn't, I'd have, I'd have dreams of like, cause at my church Adventism, it's very like end times focused and, yeah. it, and it goes like, I remember like sitting in church and I was 10 years old and there was this video playing and I can't really exactly remember like what happened on the video, but I remember the message was kind of like end times, someone's going to come. And I think there wasn't a gun to the head, but it was essentially like gun to the head. Do you believe in Jesus? If not. And I think these boots took this man away and he was like, I do believe in Jesus and took him away. And I'm 10 years old. I'm like, crap, I would say no. Like I I would totally say no. I'm not dying for this. Like I could just say, and in my head, I was like, mom, like, could I just say no? And, but really mean yes. Like does God, would he really be that upset with me Mm. if I just like said that? And so, and so, you know, those questions of like, I'm like, I'm told that this way of life is meant to transform me and change me into this Christ-like figure. Mm. And I noticed it didn't. And that's what got me thinking about like, what ideas lead people to what, what ideas transform people. So I would look very much around, around the church I was in and I go, man, there's a lot of climate deniers in here. Like a lot of people who vote a, a specific way, yet aren't we told to like love the environment, look after it? Isn't this like, there's a lot, why, what is it about this worldview that leads to such obviously harmful political environmental outcomes? So I, these are all the questions I was asking. And I think what, excuse me, yeah. I think what led me down this idea of chasing like, ideas digest and, and that way of processing ideas. And I did it in like the very first podcast I did yeah. in on my show, which was you have no free will. Mm. Cause I noticed me accepting an idea completely shifted it. And in short, it was essentially when I believe in the free will construct, like I choose my choices, my actions, I'm the master of my domain. Like I, everything that happens is cause I chose it to mm. be. Then I walk past the homeless person and go, bro, should have gone to school, shouldn't have taken drugs, shouldn't have been an alcoholic. I didn't. I made the best decisions. Off I go, your fault. But then as soon as I'd like analyze that and be like the whole Nepal driving in the bus, I'm like, well, if I was born here, then I'd probably be there. Then I'd probably be poor and I'd probably be Hindu. I wouldn't be Christian. I'm like, crap, just being born somewhere sets your whole life trajectory. Uh, my friend, my friend Russ, who I chat with on the show a lot, he's always saying like the best decision he ever made was to be born to his parents. And <laughs> so I explored that idea and I discovered that when I accepted, and I'm not even debating whether this is true or not, the free will construct yeah. is a very philosophically <laughs> yes. challenging thing to kind of like, yeah, but what is this? And, where, and it's interesting to explore, but I just go, okay. If I sidestep, and this is, I guess what I try and do on a podcast, if I sidestep 
to debate you whether it's true or not because we mm. get hung up on that as a as mm-hmm. an idea and i think it's a cultural phenomenon of what is true and we, what we what we mean by true is what is literally true yeah. but if i sidestep that and go into what does this idea when accepted lead me to <clears throat> so when i accepted that there perhaps was no free will construct and i was just a a, a a concoction of my genetics, me being born a certain way and things that happened. Well, all of those things are outside of my control. So yeah. the reason why I'm going to school, teaching, got a decent job, not, not uh, abusing drugs, not doing all of these things that are harmful to society is like, well, I didn't really make those choices. I was kind of set up for that. Mm-hmm. And when I accepted that premise, that's when I walked past the homeless person and my heart broke. Yeah. Right. Interesting. Cause I just went like, I still felt helpless. I still didn't know what to do, but I felt that helplessness and I felt it, it, that idea, at least for me, as I mapped it, shifted me to go like, maybe my actions were still the same. Like I, I I was like, do I give him money? Like, I just don't bloody know what to do here. Cause like, is that helpful? Cause now, cause I teach economics. I'm always like, what are the incentive structures that we're building also here? Like, like, don't get me started on tipping. I'm like, <laughs> tipping's a bad, it's an exploitative practice. That's like, anyway. So I'm like, I'm really big on these incentive structures we build. And so maybe my actions were still kind of the same, but this idea led me to a transformation in, in, in me. I could feel suddenly, suddenly I had empathy that I didn't have before. It was, yeah. And so when I look at, say, some conservatives that go, well, this is the immigration situation and we can't let them in because of safety and terrorism, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I don't think you feel like maybe you do because I understand the political realities of how do you, the nation state and all these things. Let's discuss the nuance of it all, but I'm just going outside of policy. Do you feel the horror that we do to other people in this locking people offshore? Do you feel the, the pain caused to the planet? Like Mm. with these plastic bottles that they keep giving me in the hotel. Like, 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 like I, I feel that now yeah. I feel it. And I think it's come from different ideas that I have come to believe are true. And I don't know if ideas alone change people, but I do think there are at least some level of trying to understand what leads us to what. And, mm. and I think my language is identifying and talking about it probably too clinically. That doesn't make sense. Whereas Brooke is far more like everything I cerebrally talk about and try and explain. She just goes, Oh yeah, I kind of like feel that and know that. Like I just operate from that. I go, oh, well, yeah. Well, right. It's, <laughs> it's, yeah. It is a little bit, I think there's, yeah, it is a little bit different to a lot of people I, I come across. Um, Cause I'm just trying to explain the things mm. that can't, that we operate from that we often don't explain. Mm. You know? And I think when you talk about having empathy for someone to, you know, help them for some reason whatsoever, like we all do have different levels of empathy as well based on I think our life experiences and, um, and I think what hurts us. Cause I guess from you speaking, like I haven't had that, thought around where what you've experienced around the free will to then that has then helped you to be able to feel something for a homeless person for me i've just always like felt sorry for homeless people you know that that's the situation that they're in um so i think and there's there's always a different element that's going to play into why somebody thinks or feels the way that they do like you say there's really no right or wrong way of 
that's thinking right. it it's just it's based it can be based on our experiences yeah and i think i think personal experience is what we often operate from mm. so someone who does walk past the homeless person and their heart breaks well, what have they happened what's happened in their life for them mm. to see their dad brother mum, sister themselves in that person to be able to empathize and go i know what that would be like yeah. and i think perhaps as no evidence for this but perhaps my very safe upbringing mm. primed me to just not have that associative experience like i haven't had so i, I was just texting <laughs> someone found me on instagram <laughs> who who was like someone sent me a photo of their food that they've been delivered i'm like oh, in the exact same hotel that i am in and i've been texting them back and forth I'm like, oh why were you in melbourne yeah and 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 they said oh, i was at my brother's funeral and like suddenly passed away and i was like and and i it, obviously given like cam's recent death for me like yep. instantly that that heart just broke because mm. i'm like i feel that yep. and she feels that yeah so i know that whereas yep. before that i didn't know that you know yeah that's correct yeah yeah i agree you don't you do have to understand an experience to truly be able to empathize mm -hmm. with somebody and and I guess if you can't do that, I guess this is what, what I'm doing, <clears throat> what I'm doing in the void of that experience. So, so what, how do we get there if we haven't had that level of suffering mm. or haven't been shown that level of grace and love? Mm. How do we get there? And I guess I'm like, I still think we can get there. Mm. It's a long road and it's an intellectualized road and it's yep. a, it, it's different, but, I, but I, I guess I think I can still get there because for me, it's helped me get places mm. even without that level of, of suffering. Yeah, exactly. Well, like you said, you've, you've got empathy for a homeless person because of this thought process that you've gone through. You haven't had to experience mm. homelessness to have empathy for that person. Yeah. Mm. And some people have it more naturally than others. And some people would listen sure. to me explaining that being like, no, oh, bro, that's so obvious. <laughs> <laughs> like, like Brooke, like it's all, it's, it's, she lives that way. Yeah. And I'm always like, why though? Where, where's that come from? Like map that mm. for me. She's like, Oh, it's, it's, it's within. And so, yeah. Different people, different ways of living life, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Here's a question um, for all the people that you have spoken to on your podcast and on your lives and on Instagram and stuff like that. Has there been someone who you've spoken to that has had a really big impact on you and has potentially changed your thoughts or opinions around an idea. Yeah, I think it happens quite a lot. Hmm. And it's probably sadly, sadly it isn't like whole 180 pivots. Like I was re I recently was chatting to a pro Trumper, this Indian guy who's a pro Trumper who we went live and his followers are like the biggest trolls you've ever seen. They're just like, if this guy's mustache sucks, I'm like, Oh, leave the mustache alone, man. It's, it's, it's all right. And, and so like super abusive. Right. And, and I, I go to those conversations genuinely trying to be like, theoretically, I believe what am I missing? I don't know it all. I'm not an economist. I'm not a sociologist. I'm not a, like, I don't dig deep into policy. Like maybe, Hey, go to this pro Trumper. I'm like, maybe like hit me with the economic policies. Cause I'm familiar ish. And I can look at it and go, oh, you know, is there anything good there? Hmm. And sadly, like to, to that, like complete 180 extent on maybe some of my political positions and, and things like that, probably that hasn't happened yet. I think 
probably only mainly because I've started in this realm I'm familiar with, which is the Christian world. And because yep. I grew up in it, no kind of conservative or very Christian person is telling me anything that I don't already know. Cause I lived it for, for 25 years. So in that sense, I'm like, I kind of already get that world. And there are a lot of the people who might, who I might not align with ideologically that I have been speaking to, to just try and like flesh out the process of go, what am I missing? Um, but I always, I always learn how they got there. I always, like, I always find out uh, the premise of like, you define this as that. And that's why you've gone there. Or you have this idea of like, if you just ask someone who calls someone on the left, like a Marxist, I like, I'm like, all right, define Marxist for me. <laughs> Cause like define communist. And I'm like, and you find that they're, they're operating fast and loose with these definitions. And I go, okay, well, if I accept your definition, then I think I know what you're saying. Mm. Uh, but I think what I find, I have these little moments of, and you'll probably hear it in, in some of the episodes mm. being like, Oh, flip. Like, yeah. Like I was talking to um, a woman in America and she, she's, she was Christian. She's black. She's very involved in uh, like the protests and things like that. And we were talking about racism and mm. the clickbait for that one that isn't out yet. That was what's white Jesus as white supremacist. Mm. And, and what I like, what I think I love most is put the insight different perspective offers. Yeah. So for her, black woman, me, white Australian guy, completely different perspectives. And for her, I think the thing that I was like, oh, flip, that really opens it up was I, she was saying something like, uh, and I, hopefully I can do it justice, but she was saying that we as white people like me, I, I, I get given the privilege of individualism. Mm -hmm. So if I commit a crime and you see it play out in the news narratives, if I commit a crime, I was deranged. I was a criminal. I was mentally unstable. I was all these things. Yeah. But when a black person does oh, a gang, a black, uh, like he, that black person now speaks for the whole community. And so she was saying like the privilege of individualism and things, little things like that really just like, just expand my perspective in the sense that I don't know if it's like, cause I try, I'm trying to hold opinions very loosely being like from where I stand now with what I value now, this is my first idea as to what I think might be good. I try to hold it a bit loosely rather than have my identity identity formed by political or religious mm. ideologies. And so when I talk to someone from a different perspective, even, even I was just editing an episode with a Southern evangelical, like pastor, like super anti-gay marriage, transgender things, pro Trump, all of those things. Yeah. I find this very addictive expansion of my perspective being like, ah, uh, like I understand what you're pointing at and it, and it, I don't want to create false equivalences, which mm. people like to do when we try and polarize into two things. Yeah. But I do find at least I do know what you're talking about. Yeah. I do understand so if this pro trump is like oh the cancel culture of the left i'm like okay yeah that is some level of fundamentalism that says you need to be like me if not shut up yeah and i go i do want like we might disagree on what percentage of those people represent the left but that expansion of perspective at least being like now i can stand where you stand and i go oh and i think the thing that i find continually changing is my expansion of empathy and then mm. the bolstering of my, I guess, my underlying ideological position, that is, I still don't believe in evil people. Yeah. I don't believe anyone 
I don't think anyone does evil for evil's sake. I think mm. we all do it for a perverse sense of good and a good that's exclusively for me that hurts you, but it's a good for me and I'm still yeah. doing it. That's how I think people operate. And so if I can just try and understand that, then I don't, I don't think there is a need to vilify anybody mm. and I don't think it helps. And so I'm finding just these conversations expand my empathy horizons to at least go, I could be your friend like this, this Southern Baptist guy, like the nicest, like the sweetest round mm-hmm. face, <laughs> really smiley, like Southern, Southern manners. Just, I was like, I could go to your house for dinner. Like I totally yeah. could. <clears throat> and obviously, you know, me being a, a white kind of Christian ish guy, of course I could do that, you know, but if I was yeah. you know, gay or in a different position, then I have that privilege. And so I, I do understand that as well, but I still don't know if anything is gained from me needing to vilify. I, I just don't, I just don't see if there's any benefit to that. Yeah. I mean, when you sort of touched on cancel culture, it's like, what is the benefit of cancel culture? You know, like, and what is the benefit of vilifying somebody? There's no real benefit. If anything, it's, benefiting someone's ego because mm. they are deciding and that that they're better than that person which is essentially their ego speaking and then they're like okay yes. i'm happy now i've satisfied that within me and off they go on their merry way as if nothing yeah. has ever happened yeah my my current operating thesis which is probably wrong and has no evidence to support it and i was telling my friend russ about it is like we throw these labels like racism around at people like Trump's a racist. And mm-hmm. so this is the example I'll use. And I could be wrong, prove me wrong. That's, I'm open to it. But I don't think Trump's a racist. I think he's just such a narcissist that mm-hmm. anything that fits his narrative and, and any, if you say he's good, he loves you. Black, gay, whatever. He loves you. If you say Trump's the best, he loves you. Yeah. And if you say Trump's the worst, he hates you. And he'll, that's, I think, his paradigm. And I think maybe... A lot of people are like that. It's like, mm. maybe we do. I'm not saying prejudices don't exist and we don't have operating biases that cause discrimination towards certain like women, uh, homosexuals, black people, immigrants, all of those things. We have those as well. But I do think the more maybe underlying that is a self, it's just a self ego gratification of being like, I am good. You mm. are bad. And if you fit that category of the story I'm being told that black is bad, then I'm going to go with that. But if that story, if suddenly you're black and telling me I'm good, then you're the best. Like, I, yeah. I, I, I wonder if that's kind of the operating uh, thing that, that people operate with, that people operate on. I'm, I'm still fleshing that idea out a little bit. Mm. I like it. It's a good idea to ponder. Yeah. <laughs> um, what, do you follow a certain process when it comes to you analyzing new thoughts and old perspectives or do you just sort of like you were saying before remain open to concepts and ideas yeah the process i think i i think i do like do you think are you thinking politically spiritually um or both uh i mean in general like for whatever, whether it is political or religious, I'm not really being particular. Yeah. Is, is there a, a certain path that you follow to examine an idea and then ultimately form your own conclusion about it? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I think um, operating frameworks that I, that I operate with. 
I think I spoke like, I think my underlying core, I've stepped away from what I think is a very cultural, like a very modern 200 year old post enlightenment, like scientific revolution way of thinking. Just we, we, and I think most people operate in the world thinking, is this true or not? And then I would say, well, define true. And that, and then people might say, corresponding to reality i'm like okay materialistic reality like the reality that everyone shares in common okay like materialism ish to be like what we can measure with instruments with hard data that's what you're saying is true um and we operate within that very useful way of doing it we wouldn't know what we know without it definitely really helpful but i think on a personal level i've stepped away i think I've stepped away from like that being my fundamental mode of operation. So people say, Oh, it's all about truth. Like what's true. And I'm like, I still think there's a level below that, mm-hmm. that you need to go as, as to what's true. And so you'd say, how do I measure what's true? Because there's material truth that like science operates within being like, is, is climate change happening? Well, let's look at these peer reviewed studies of scientists that measure these varying parameters and then cross reference with their other scientific colleagues and then go oh this was correct this was not and then we come to a consensus of this is likely to be happening okay yeah useful but how do i decide then on a person like how to then do i decide what's true from the human experience Mm -hmm. what is true uh like spiritually in and if i guess if i define spiritually as like the container in which I hold everything, like everything yeah. sits in a container, the contradictions in life, the injustice in life, it all sits with like suffering. How, how do we hold those things? And I, I've come to define that as the spiritual container. Mm. And I think if I was to sum up that container, it's just asking myself the question, does this lead me to more love, inclusion, openness, acceptance, personally am i a more free and loving person and that can be measured by are my relationships thriving am i am i developing in my capacity to to be like to quote the bible to die to the self to die to the ego what we're talking about when you're saying like it's an ego boss to be like you're you're a racist you're an idiot like i'm right like really good like pump that ego that causes harm to somebody else in order to get that pump so i go well like are my relationships thriving am i loving as many people as i can do they also think i'm loving them um and am do i feel more free do i feel like this is the direction to be going i think that kind of underpins if we're talking like religiously it's like how do you analyze different theological doctrines within a Christian framework. Well, I bring the political into that. I bring Mm. the scientific into that. And I go, what is the outflow of this idea? Well, if the outflow of the doctrine of total human depravity, saying that humans are sinful, we are super rubbish, the flesh is bad. If that leads, like, I know that's kind of what you've explored a Mm. lot of is, and I know that that's probably a big component of the purity culture and the sexual repression for women and men Mm. within the church. And so I go, is this doctrine leading people to be able, is it leading them to shame? And from like firsthand experience, like, I think, yes, Mm. I think it leads to these shame cycles that I think, well, is that leading me to more love, openness, inclusion, and acceptance? I don't think so. Mm. Is the doctrine of like escapist theology where we're like, don't worry, Jesus is coming. Who cares about climate change? Who cares about COVID? He's all coming back. I'm like, cool. 
where do you go politically? Well, you don't care that they're going to be drilling for gas off the coast of Australia mm. and investing in a technology that's going to screw the future generations in a, in stranded assets when everyone's gone renewable, like set us behind. Like you don't care about that. So does this doctrine allow you to love the next generations and set them up? Like, I guess that's what I kind of operate within. And so when I say like, there's no free will, I just go, what does that lead me to? Well, it leads me to empathy. So I'm going to hold it. And you can like probably disprove it and philosophically go, oh, is it true? Is it not? <laughs> I'll still have that discussion. It's interesting to me, but it's, I'm very much more interested in what makes me as a human in the human experience, love more, thrive more, include more, accept more. Um, even if that might come at the cost of me losing something you know, like that death to self. If I lose the bit of the ego, if I, if I become less wealthy because of policies of equality, I think, I think you come more alive in mm. that space, even if you aren't physically or financially better off for it. And I think that's when we talk about that, I think that's what I'm talking about as like a spiritual thing. So I don't know if that helps. <laughs> no, that does. I think that's really helpful because I am often I mean, that helps people explore new ideas. It helps people to, rather than take a side, it helps people to examine how a thought or an opinion or an idea is affecting their life. And the way that you've explained it is that's really interesting. It's not really a way that I've ever thought to think about a new idea. Um, and so personally, I find that actually really interesting and something that I'll probably try and use myself as a, a way of, bettering my my thought processes i think that's very helpful i would argue you you're already doing it i would argue most people already kind of do it and as we and and i think watching your journey i think that's exactly what you've done you've gone this like physically hurt me Mm. and now you go oh and emotionally and spiritually and sexually and relationally like this really hurt me so you've moved moved away from it and i Mm. think as we maybe get more healthy i don't know as i as i become and 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 build this like spiritual container it actually expands and so the question of like does it lead me to more life love happiness i because as as that expands it becomes like well, I want to contribute to other people's love, yeah. happiness, and yes. all of those things. So the container begins to expand to include yes. your wife, your immediate family, or your community, your country, and your humanity. It's like these domes, I think the Richard Rohr analogy, mm. these different domes of the individual, the community, and then the global. Yeah. And I think as that expands, that same question still applies. Like, okay, this is going to cost me, like talking to Cam's, uncle he was on the podcast once he's like uh you know doing well for himself to put it one way and he's but he votes politically against his interests he votes for greens he votes for labor and he knows that he will financially be worse off Mm. because they might impose an inheritance tax that might hit his kids yeah but he goes i think that's because he's expanded that to the point Mm. where he goes well it like it doesn't help me but it does lead me to more love and inclusion as I consider the wider community. Like, is it, is it okay for me to have this amount when other people don't like, should I give back in that analogy? So yeah, it's also that expanding level, but Mm. I think everybody, I do think everybody does it. It just might be that they're only asking the question on maybe a material level. Like, am I, 
am I better off financially? Am I better off physically? Am I better off socially? Yeah. And then that can cause a bit of harm. But I think, I guess that's why I say, does it lead me to more love, openness and inclusion? Hmm. And then that kind of shifts the trajectory away from like, I'll be financially better off, but it doesn't make me more inclusive. So I yeah. don't think I'm going to go that way. And that's me taking seriously the things that I was handed from my religious upbringing to take Jesus seriously and saying, if it is about love, if it is about loving the neighbor and the enemy, then I think it is about learning to include them, but also accepting yourself. If you can't include them like me back then Mm. and probably me still now, like still people like I'm not big enough person to include yet. Yeah. Still trying to work that out. Having grace for myself being like, listen, I'm doing my best and I'm slowly expanding and just doing what I can. And hopefully by the time I die, I've learned to die Mm. in a way before that. Yeah. And I think that's an interesting thought as well you saying that there are still, you know, people or ideas that you haven't been able to include yet. But I mean, isn't that the point of growth? Like if we all just had it all immediately, like how that's a little bit mm. boring. Like I know mm. with me and the own, my own journey that I've been on, I'm like, I actually don't want to ever stop expanding and learning because that'll be boring. <laughs> you know, that's like right. I want life to that's stay right. exciting. I want to keep learning. I want to continue to read the books or hear the different thoughts. Yeah. Um, and, and like you said, and then eventually when we do get to the end of our own individual times, we've expanded as much as we possibly can. Yeah. And I wonder if an idea, and this is something I'm thinking about at the moment, if what brings me into that space, you're talking about that space of being okay with learning that space with being okay with not knowing that the Mm. uncertainty being okay with that, it's a hard space to be in because there are no answers. Yeah. And you don't have it all. Yeah. And it's hard to compete in a world that says like, you look at the, like, you look at the news, they're like, and this whole COVID thing, they're like, and scientists, they still don't know what it is. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, they're trying to work it out. Like, that's what science looks like. It's like, it's new. It's difficult. Like, oh, and scientists on climate change got their projections wrong. It's like, yeah, yeah. they're projections. <laughs> they're trying to guess at the future. This is like actually a really good thing that we're like, and, but it, and it's hard, it's hard to kind of operate within it. And one of the ideas I'm playing with at the moment is like letting go of a utopian idea. Mm. Yep. And if I let go of that for myself to go, there is no utopia. There is no perfect Conrad. There is no Conrad that has it figured out. There's just a Conrad at 50 who hopefully has figured out slightly more than Conrad at 30. <laughs> yep. But if Conrad could live to 150, there would still be no perfect Conrad in the same way. Expand that. There will, there'll be no utopia. There'll be no, I think embracing that struggle and that uncertainty and learning to thrive and accept reality for what it is, this mess, this suffering, this difficulty, this fighting for change is like what Peter Rollins, probably one of the guys that influenced a lot of my ideas. And we had him on the show. He talks about the idea of, of the rebel. And he's talking about like, there's this utopian that fights this freedom fighter. Who's like, no, no, we're going to get justice. And we're going to like have a utopia. And he's, he talks about the contrast of that is like the rebel who's this guy in the bar. And he's like, he's like, um, so a guy asked this rebel in a leather jacket in the bar, what are you rebelling against? And the rebel looks at him and goes, what do you got? And it's that like (laughs) the rebel will just rebel. And I think that's kind of where I think it's helpful to imagine that we are. It's just that if we can learn to just enjoy the process of fighting for justice, fighting for wholeness, fighting to include as many people as we can, but also I like 
hey, maybe it gives some people hope. I'm not sure yet. Maybe it can help to like think of this. Oh no, we'll achieve, we'll achieve it in the end. I'm just like, oh, I just don't know if I buy that. But mm. that doesn't mean if I accept that and continue growing, then I can be okay in this space of going growth for growth's sake, not growth for the app for this perfect stagnant yeah. achievement, you know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That's a great note to finish on. I think Conrad. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> Some deep food for thought for everyone there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Probably too many pseudo intellectual words uh, <laughs> dropped in there. I don't know what half of them mean. I just like listen to guys and I'm like, Oh, that's cool. I'm definitely going to like use that and make everyone think I'm smarter than I am. <laughs> um, okay. So if uh, people do want to listen to more of your intellectual thoughts and conversations. <laughs> Pseudo-intellectuals. 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 <laughs> yeah. You are at Ideas Digest. Is that correct? Yeah. Podcast, Ideas Digest. Instagram, Ideas Digest. Email, Ideas Digest at gmail.com. And are you open to people reaching out if they want to have a chat with you over podcast? Oh, Yes. If anyone's like, Conrad, you're so frigging wrong about this. And I can't believe you think that I will be very fascinated to have that conversation. And if you're like, if you come across like uncle Greg or something dropping whatever on Facebook, you're like, Oh geez, that's an interesting perspective. It just send me an email. Just be like, Hey, have you heard of this guy? I'll reach out. If they're not too big and too legit, they might come on the show. You know, you never know who you can get on. So definitely, definitely. It's always worth a try. That's right. It is. It is. <laughs> Oh, thanks again, Conrad. That's great. No worries. Thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning in to this latest podcast episode. If you would like to be on the podcast, share an experience, or you want to request a specific topic, you can reach out to me through my website, www.consciousexuality.com.au or via Instagram DM at Conscious Sexuality. If you are interested in working with me at all, you can also reach out to me via the contact form on my website or through a DM on Instagram as well. And if you've got any other questions about anything that I've ever spoken about or a guest that's been on the show, you can reach out to me through those channels as well. I'd love to connect with you. Thank you.